One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is John 3.16. You've probably heard it at some point. And it starts talking about, for God so loved the world. And that, that makes sense. God loves the world. God created the world. God takes care of the world. And yet in our sermon passage today, as we continue in 1 John, we read, do not love the world or the things in the world. And so John, the same writer of both books, won the gospel and won his first letter, says that God loves the world and yet tells us not to love the world. How do we reconcile that? How do we think about the world and our love for it in the correct way when it seems there is a contradiction? Well, we're going to open up and see that there is no contradiction. In 1 John chapter 2, as we continue our sermon series through this letter of the Apostle John, we're looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 today. It's a short passage, only three verses, uh, as he takes us through how we should feel towards the world. So here's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and that you've spoken to us and that you've faithfully preserved it throughout the ages, that it is inspired by the Spirit, that it is living and active. And I pray that in spite of my own weakness and sin, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would bring the word forth in truth and clarity and in power, and that our hearts and minds would be open to receive your word today, that you would work in us that you would change us to love you because you love us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking through our passage today, I want us to, to try and think about a few different things that this passage says. I want, us, want him to think about why the world is so negative here. Why are we presenting the world in such a negative life, light? And then I want us to think about the desires of the world. He talks about what these desires are and where we find them. And then to ask, what is from the Father? He holds in opposition what is from the world and what is from the Father. And then finally to think about the idea of passing away. Passing away. What is passing away? So reconciling again, John 3.16 in our passage here, we notice that the world is very negative in 1 John 2.15. That the world is bad. It's very clearly bad. It's something we're not to love. And yet... In John 3.16, John uses very similar words, and so we're left thinking, how can this fit together? Well, though the same words are used, they're used a little differently. That the two main words there, love and world, are used differently. See, love is used differently. In last week's passage, we talked about loving your neighbor, and we saw that that love we should have for our neighbor is a sacrificial and a selfless love. It is not love in the sense that we get pleasure or enjoyment from something, but it was a sacrifice. And so in John 3.16, that's the kind of love that is talked about. 
that God loved the world and sent his son into the world to be a sacrifice. But in 1 John 2.15, this love for the world is not sacrifice for the world. It is getting our pleasure, enjoyment, and meaning from the world. It's the kind of love we think of when we say, I love my favorite restaurant. Or I love my favorite band. It's not that we're sacrificing for our favorite band. It's that we enjoy what they give to us. That's the love he's thinking about here for the world. But he also means something different by world. See, in John 3.16, the world was a valuable thing that God wanted to show his love to and to save. And yet in 1 John, the world is all that is counter to God's purposes and his design. It's the world of man, the world of sinful man, the corrupted fallen world that has come about because of sin. And so what John is speaking against here is worldliness worldliness. Worldliness is when we take the good things of God that he has made and use them in ways that he never intended. It is recreating the things of the world in our image instead of recognizing how he made them. A few examples. See, sexuality was designed to bring a husband and wife closer together in commitment and intimacy. It was not meant to be a pleasure that we sought after without commitment in things like pornography, adultery, or promiscuity. It was meant to be a good blessing to bring people together, husband and wife. Or our work. Our work is meant to benefit the world, to contribute to society. Work is not meant to make us proud, to make us give us selfish ambition to put others down and to conquer some mountain. Our possessions, our possessions were designed to be given to us so that we could steward them for good purposes. They were not given to us so that we can hoard them and find ultimate happiness in them. See, when we use the things of the world in sinful ways, they will never satisfy because we're using them wrongly. It's like putting Pepsi in your gas tank of your car. We are using them in ways that will not give us lasting pleasure. See, sin has a really great marketing campaign. It is really enticing. It really says, I can give you everything you want, and yet, despite sin's good marketing campaign, it never delivers on its promises. They always come up empty. They come up empty because we're trying to turn temporary things into ultimate things. We're trying to find our ultimate pleasure enjoyment and meaning from things in this world. But nothing in this world is substantial enough, strong enough, or meaningful enough to do that for us. Because we were made for a different kind of love. Not the love of the world, but the love of the Father. And so when we put the things of the world in our hearts as our main goals, as the things we love the most, we end up short-circuiting our hearts. Like the engines, they end up stalling and malfunctioning until you fill it with what it is designed for. And so John is saying to his people, do not fill your hearts with love for the world. What you need is love for the Father. And so we read that, and many Christians try to avoid the world. We're like, okay, worldliness is a problem, so let's set up fences. 
big old fences that keep the world out and keep us safe from worldliness. And so we set up rules or boundaries for ourselves, for our families, and even our churches that try to keep us from the danger of worldliness. We know money can be enticing, and so we try to set a strict budget, and we only spend money on what we need, and we try to give most of it away, and that way we can't use our money wrongly. Or maybe we try to consume our media wisely, and we don't watch R-rated movies or something like that. Maybe we try to consume our food and drink wisely and never want a taste of alcohol. Maybe we try to maintain our relationships wisely and try to make sure that we're only friends with fellow Christians and that way those people who love the world don't get close to us. And so fence after fence after fence we set up in our lives hoping that by avoiding the world and the things of the world, we will not struggle with worldliness. But friends, that's not going to work. It's not going to work because worldliness is not only an external problem. Worldliness is an internal problem. When you look at verse 16, here's what John says. All that is in the world, and then he goes on to say what that is. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. All those are human desires. Which makes sense because it was human sin that led to the fall and corruption of God's good creation. And every single one of us is a fallen person. A sinner corrupted by our sin. And so no matter how hard we try to, we cannot escape worldliness. We cannot escape it by avoidance because the desires of the world are already in us. We cannot build a fence to keep the world out Because the world is always in the fence, because it is always in our hearts. Now, John is not saying that all desire is bad. After all, we were created as humans with desires, and desires are good things. But sin has corrupted our desires. And so now, instead of liking the right things the right amount, we start liking the right things the wrong amount. We start overly liking things that we should not like. We start desiring things in the wrong way. And John is pointing us to some of these desires. He first describes them as desires of the flesh or sinful desires. And then he highlights two of them that are of great danger to us. The first John looks at is covetousness. John describes the desires of the flesh and then goes on to describe the desire of the eyes. See, covetousness often deals with our eyes. We look around at the world and we see all these things and we want them. We see and we want. We see and it's not ours, but we'd really like it to be ours. And this desire to covet is in all humanity. And one of the clearest ways you can see this is in the desire to have it all or the complete the set desire. I am a complete the set person and so are my children. I've passed it on to them. You see, children do not just want one Paw Patrol character. They want all the Paw Patrol characters. They don't just want one Shopkins. They want all the Shopkins. They want every single version of what they have. And before we laugh at our kids, it continues. See, young people don't just want one of the streaming video services. We need them all. Netflix, Hulu, whatever's out there. We need a subscription to everything so we don't miss anything. We need to know it's all available and it's all ours. 
Oh, but it's not just young people either. As we get older, we want every tool for our workshop. We want shoes that match every outfit. We want gadgets for every purpose, decorations for every part of our house. We want every senior discount at all the local restaurants. We want them all. That desire to have it all is in all of us for our entire lives. After all, what is the fundamental difference between my son who wants every Disney car's car and Alexander the Great who wanted to conquer every known land? They both just wanted all of the things they wanted, every last piece of it. It's the same desire in our hearts that we all covet what we do not have. We set our love on the things of the world, and we covet more, and we think more will satisfy us. But the satisfaction we feel always fades. It is fleeting. It's like chasing after the wind. We think fulfilling these desires will satisfy us, but they don't. They can't. And so covetousness leaves us feeling empty. It passes away. It is a fleeting desire. That's the first danger John points us to. But it's not just coveting. It is pride. That's the second desire he points us to. In the ESV, he calls it the pride of life or the pride in possessions. The NIV says the boasting of what he has and does. That's a good way of putting it. Not only do we want what we don't have, but we are overly attached to what we already have, and we're proud of it. I'm not only talking about hoarders, but all of us. All of us are weirdly, shockingly, way too attached to a lot of the stuff that we have. We all probably know someone who gets disproportionately upset when something of theirs gets broken or damaged. Some of us are those people. See, I got upset this week when I had to take one of our sons to the Porta John at the baseball field, and after all of the rain, well, there was a lake around the Porta John, and I wasn't exactly sure if that was rainwater or <laughs> proximity issues. And so I got my sneakers muddy, and these were like $50 sneakers I bought three years ago. They were very nice and clean. And I was upset that my child would feel the call of nature and so endanger the beauty of my sneakers. That is awful. And yet, we can feel that way about our stuff. Shoes that are going to get thrown away this year or next year anyway. And yeah, we should teach our children responsibility and we should expect them to respect people's belongings, but a few dents in the wall, a stain in the carpet, crumbs in the car, they're not a big deal. All of our stuff is temporary anyway. But our pride is not just in physical stuff. It's in more intangible stuff. See, money is kind of on the line. Money has become uh, less and less tangible. It's no longer coins and bills. It's just numbers on a bank account. And so we can be stingy with our money, unwilling to give to people in need, unwilling to give to causes, whether it's the church or some other cause, because we can't imagine surviving without every penny that is mine. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's our reputation. 
Maybe we despair and get defensive when our self-image suffers because we have failed or someone criticized us and we lose that reputation that was mine. It's final season for college students and we can freak out when our GPA drops because we do poorly on one test or in one class and our world falls apart that I'm not going to be something cum laude or whatever. We lose it. Our world falls apart. Maybe it's our health. We get unexpectedly sick or we have a lot of hospital bills and we just can't imagine. But my health, I had that. And now it's gone. See, we tend to put great pride in our possessions, whether they are tangible or intangible. And yet all of them are fleeting. And when we foolishly connect having them to our value and identity as people, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Because when we lose our possessions, we feel less than whole. We think they will make us valuable, and yet they don't. They can't. And so in both covetousness and in pride, we derive our value from either what we don't have or what we do have. Those are internal sinful desires in all of us. Yes, they can be triggered by external things in the world, material goods, cultural pressures, other people. But avoiding those external things does not save us from worldliness because worldliness is within. It is our own sinful desires that are with us. And so, you know, you feel like, well, I'm I'm in trouble. You feel hopeless hearing that. We're commanded not to love the world, and yet, well, we're in the world. We're surrounded by the temptations of the world, and not only that, but our desires are corrupted to want those temptations and not to resist them. And so we're left looking at our New Testament reading from James 4 going, well, guess that makes me an enemy of God. And we feel pretty terrible about that, being an enemy of God. Because worldliness is presented as opposed to God. John's doing that in 1 John here. He is saying that there is something in opposition. Here's what he writes in verse 16. For all that is in the world, that is those desires, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he's saying there's this opposition. There's the things from the world and what's from the Father. Like, okay, well, we're in trouble over here, but what's over here? What is from the Father then? What is from the Father? Well, John doesn't give us a clear look here, but he does somewhere else in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was sent from the Father to the world. Jesus is what is opposed to the world and to worldliness. And yet he is the only thing that can save the world and save us from our worldliness. See, Jesus was truly opposed to the world. He came in human flesh. He became one of us. He had desires like we do, but his desires were not corrupted. He was not born in sin like we are. He was tempted by everything around him. The things of the world were the same back then. They just weren't on TV. They were just around you. So he was tempted, yet he never gave in to temptation and sinned. 
He saw all the things of the world, all the things he didn't have as a relatively poor man, and yet he didn't covet them. He was the very Son of God, equal in power and glory to the Father, and yet he was not proud about it. In fact, he humbled himself and became a servant of all. Jesus showed us a different way to live that was opposed to worldliness. And yet, Jesus did not build fences. Jesus was in the world. He was very much a part of the world, interacting with sinners and caring for those who were affected by the brokenness of the world. He didn't seclude himself like some monk, going off and trying to be separate from everyone. No, he dove in and found those who were hurting and broken, those people who the society at large called sinners, and said, I will reach you. And he did that while not sinning himself. How do you do that? Bible answer, he's God. Yes, I know. But how did he do that? He found his joy and his pleasure in the love of the Father instead of the love of the world. Jesus denied the fleeting pleasures of this world because he found great delight in obeying his Father. If you read the Gospel of John, you see again and again Jesus say, I do the will of my Father. I do the will of my Father. Whatever the Father says, that I do. That was his thing. He loved obeying his Father. He knew that obedience was the path to blessedness as the end of our passage says in verse 17, that whoever does the will of God abides forever. And yet, instead of receiving eternal life for his obedience, Jesus was crucified. Not because he had done something wrong, but because he knew that we all had been worldly and had sinned. And our punishment was death. It was to pass away with the desires of the world. And yet Jesus said, no, I'll take that. I will put that upon myself. I will willingly, obediently take your sinful desires and your worldliness on me and pay their punishment. I will pass away from this world like you should have passed away from this world. Because I truly love the world. Not in a way that I get my pleasure from it, but in a way that I will sacrifice for it to save the world from its sinful desires, releasing it from its sinful bondage and restore you to the God you were made to love. This is what's from the Father. This Jesus who was sent from the Father to live, die, and rise again, he's the one we should love, not the fleeting pleasures of this world. And we love him not just because he gave us a good example of what a life of not worldliness is. We love him because he is more than an example. See, his obedience, his perfect obedience belongs to us through faith. That when Jesus said, I will take your sins on me, he also said, here, you take my obedience on you. It's for you. And so now when God looks at us, he does not see disobedient, pleasure-seeking, worldly people. He sees obedient children who love to obey. He sees us as if we are Jesus. And that righteousness that he puts on us will not pass away because Scripture says it will abide forever. And that is for those who believe in Jesus. 
for those who trust that it's our sin that brings us away and it is only him that brings us back to the God that we were meant to love. That is the blessing we have in Jesus. And John writes that that blessing is a permanent blessing. See, in verse 17, John writes that the world is passing away along with its desires. So these desires of the world will one day pass away. Not in the sense that like the pleasure you get from getting new shoes eventually fades when they get muddy. But they will eventually pass away as in you will no longer desire the things of the world. That those will be plucked, removed, taken away from you. That they will pass away. Because one day this Jesus who rose again is coming back to renew heaven and earth. To remove all sin, to set all things right. And yet, though that day is in the future, he's already got started. For after he ascended into heaven, something came not just from the Father, but from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit was poured out on believers. A foretaste of what is to come, so that even now in believers, the Holy Spirit is suffocating those worldly sinful desires in us and breathing into us new Godly desires. The Spirit helps us to delight not in the stuff of this world, but in God Himself, making it possible for us to obey Psalm 37 4 to delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, in God and through the Holy Spirit, we have a permanent pleasure now available that can be found in this world and will last through the world to come. But until then, we live in a sinful world with sin in our hearts. And so we struggle against our own sinful desires, getting ready for this eternity of delight as we obey God now in the strength and grace of the Spirit. So brothers and sisters, let us repent of our worldliness, of our covetousness, of our pride, for we know that those things are all passing away and there are greater, more permanent pleasures available now in Christ through the Spirit. So let us delight in obeying God in knowing the love of the Father and responding in love to the Father for the day is coming when we will enjoy perfect, unbroken fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May that day come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are way better than the world. And though we, through our sin, we have corrupted this world and corrupted ourselves, that you offer hope. Freedom from the bondage to these desires. Hope that there are better things than the fleeting pleasures of this world. Lord, may we love what is good about this world and recognize that you gave it. And yet may we turn from that which is broken and sinful. Help us to know the love that you give us in Christ and to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.